Roseanne Winsack, one of the co-founders at Renegade Partners, is originally from Cleveland. Once set on nabbing a PhD at UC Berkeley, instead she left the school with a master's degree in biophysics to head to Stanford for her MBA. A previous founder, she spent time at Canaan as a principal and then headed to IVP, where she rose through the ranks to partner, investing across enterprise and consumer companies that include Glossier, Compass, Masterclass, and TransferWise. She's also an investor in our fund behind Genius Ventures. In today's episode, we talk about what to report to your board as both an entrepreneur and a venture capitalist, how to nurture a co-founder relationship at any stage of your business, and Roseanne's unique scientific approach to venture, diving deep into the parallels of kinetics and thermodynamics in venture. So Roseanne, as you're talking about growing up and, and your dad having this incredible work ethic and really valuing education, we share a very similar background. My dad had that similar value of growing up in a family where they didn't have a lot, but he ended up getting his undergrad and then graduate degree in engineering. And it was really important for him to have a hard work ethic. And that definitely drove me a lot when I was younger. And it sounds like it, it was incorporated a lot to you. When I was growing up, my dad would always tell me, oh, you can do whatever you want. You can be anything you want. I was like, duh, I know. Like, <laughs> stop it. Like, obviously. I think he was ramming that into my head because he knew that I would like, get to the world and the world would tell me otherwise. Mm -hmm. I'm really grateful for that. And I wish I had been more appreciative of it. Another reason that he pushed me to education and credentials was also as a woman, the barrier to being taken seriously is often so much higher. Mm -hmm. And so if you can walk in with that stamp of validation, it can really help you. Yeah. That internal sense of confidence. My dad would always tell me that when I was younger, like, you can do whatever you want. And I was like, can I switch my major to marketing? And he was like, nope, you have to say computer science. That was the only <laughs> thing he was unrelenting on. But I'm happy I ended up with a technical foundation. It's been really helpful in investing. Having a, a scientific technology background is helpful. Thinking through different frameworks. I'd love to hear more about the first company that you started and different learnings and mistakes that you made along the way there. Yeah, I was still at Berkeley and I ended up taking like a computer science class where we like made Android apps. Mm -hmm. And just to date myself, there was no app store like on for like on iPhone, right? This is like 2007. It was all computer science undergrads and me. And I, oh my god, I was like the worst, the worst programmer. And I became our product manager effectively. Mm -hmm. I did all the front end, the wireframing, and you know, and asking the questions and being the translator for like different technical things. Totally, it was in that class that I met one of my co-founders for what ended up being my first company called I'm the Music, we made, I had a friend A that was doing that, that had a bunch of games and was doing really well. And then I also had a friend who was at a nascent social media advertising company. Mm -hmm. You couldn't really buy ad revenue or ad placement yet on Facebook, but all these apps were doing it. So my, the three of us started this company and it was hilarious what we didn't know and didn't understand looking back. But there were also a lot of ways that we actually got it. A lot of our intuition was was right. Facebook kind of shut everything down. It wouldn't let you basically push notifications to your users anymore. And that just killed us. I think a lot about how happy I am that we just dove right in and didn't know what we didn't know. And like, I remember somebody asked us to make a P&L. And I was like, what's a P&L? Mm -hmm. Googling, because I had like literally never seen a P&L before, but just kind of going for it. We learned a lot. I met a ton of people, people that I still know today that are still active in the industry. And then, so you made the jump. Did you make the jump directly from either music to investing or did you do something in between? When Facebook stopped all the fun, 
that was also the summer of 2008. The world is oh. imploding. Mm-hmm. And our parents were like, what are you doing? We're both like fresh out of school, trying to hack this company together and the world is on fire. And our parents Facebook were- turns the notifications off. Yeah, right. It was kind of a perfect storm. So we both got real jobs. And Before we hop into the rest of today's episode, a quick word from our sponsor, Stripe. If you're a startup founder, you know early decisions can be the difference between success and failure. One decision that thousands of successful founders have made is choosing Stripe as their payments platform. Fun fact, at Seed Harvest, I used Stripe Atlas to incorporate my company. It was super easy and simple to incorporate my company, especially with their thorough instructions. I was able to set up a bank account and start accepting payments through Stripe. And over the past decade, Stripe has supported the growth of the most ambitious businesses, including Shopify, Lyft, and Kickstarter. Stripe uniquely knows how to support startups from their Atlas product that allows you to turn your idea into a business by helping you incorporate quickly, to their capital product that provides funding to help you scale your startup. Stripe has the tools you need to grow your business. And if you want to learn how Stripe can support you, visit stripe.com today. That's stripe.com to get started today. Now let's dive in. You're definitely driven by curiosity, and that's been very apparent in our conversations. I think that this like something that folks can discount, and it's actually like a very valuable trait that not a lot of people have. Totally. And even just like attitude, right? Mm-hmm. Being excited and wanting to learn sometimes is so rare. It can really be infectious. So yeah. I remember walking into my computer science classes and I was always the one with a big smile on my face asking all what these questions I thought were super down, but I was excited to learn. And I remember going into work environments where everyone was so serious. And I was like, are you guys like, okay, like what's going on? <laughs> no one's excited here. So I, I think that carrying that sense of excitement is very valuable. That's what is so awesome about investing as a job, right? Because mm-hmm. the truth of the matter is most people, like most people that go to work every day to like, you know, they, to get their paycheck, check some box or gain some credential or whatever, mm-hmm. right? But as a venture investor, like you're never meeting those people, right? Like every day you meet people who like said, fuck it. And like, you know, go and bet on themselves, right? Yep. And, yeah. you know, the average entrepreneur makes less than they would at, at a big company. Oh. You're spending time with people who are not box checkers, who are not just in it for the paycheck. And that's, that's like so exciting, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's hard because sometimes like, you know, you're, you know, there's so many, you're sitting in so many meetings and seeing so many companies and it can be easy to become jaded, right? Just being open-minded and making sure that you're like taking that learning opportunity is, is like so important. Um, How would you classify yourself as a board member? What role do you think that you play? So I think I'm really lucky that a big part of my growing up as an investor was at IVP, which is a growth fund. When you're a growth investor, every boardroom that you walk into is a board that already exists. So you have to understand how to be effective in a group that's already been working together, probably pretty successfully for a while. Mm-hmm. One of my early lessons at IVP was about like, don't say anything at your first board meeting, right? Like just like absorb, right? Like sit and watch. I really do spend that first board meeting when I join a new board really absorbing and trying to really understand the dynamic and the roles that different people play Mm. as a non first investor, right? Like there's already a board where, you know, there are roles and there are roles being filled and and there are gaps. One of the most important things you can do is kind of understand what's already taken care of. It's just like a really useful lens. I've been on a bunch of boards and seen some that were really successful and some that really weren't. One of the the biggest traits of like ineffective board members that I've seen are people who 
just like apply their style, especially if it's a hard style to deal with, regardless of the situation. I think that's really interesting, especially being a young investor. I feel uniquely equipped to be pretty quiet in situations like that, just because the absorption aspect is really nice. I'm curious what traits that you saw in successful boards. The most successful boards I've been on have the, the shared quality of starting with great reporting, mm-hmm. right? Some of the best boards I've been on, you know, have great materials that they get out early. And frankly, some of the best boards I've been on, I have CEOs that are really strict about get me your questions in advance, forcing your board members to do homework, which I think is very smart and I'm super supportive of. Ooh, I like that. What do you think is important as an entrepreneur to report to your board? Understanding what your key KPIs are of your business. And that's something that you can do in, you know, in collaboration with your board. Obviously, like you're going to have your own kind of the, the you're going to have your underlying metrics of the way you you operate your business, right? Showing the board those. I think it's it's good to work with the board on what are some board level metrics that are one layer abstracted from the ones that you're day-to-day running the business on. Mm-hmm. The better... The more information and data that you give your companies, like mm-hmm. the more your board, or or sorry, the more information and data that companies give their boards, the more the boards can be helpful. I, I have one CEO, she's tremendous. And she always says, like, sorry if I'm oversharing. Like I want my board members to know as much as they can so that they can actually help me when things are hard. Mm-hmm. Sometimes CEOs come into this like adversarial board relationship and frankly, it just doesn't really serve anyone. Right. And especially not the company. Curious. So as you're talking about this from an entrepreneurial perspective, I'm curious how you apply those principles at Renegade. Do you have an LPAC or do you have like a formal board in place? A word to the listeners, LPAC stands for LP Advisory Committee. It's usually made up of some of your larger LPs and sometimes independent board members. So I'll let you continue, Roseanne, on that thread. When you raise a fund, you have this LPA, a limited partner agreement. And if you want to make changes to it, like if you want to make an additional investment outside of your investment period, or you want a position that's bigger than the the biggest position that your LPA allows, you can go to your LPAC and get approval for that. And that's mm-hmm. a lot easier than going to like every single LP that you have. We had to do that. Very expensive in legal bills. <laughs> like took quite a bit of coordination across across our LP board, but it was, it was good learning. Totally. So when we started Renegade, we had this idea that we really wanted to use our LPAC a lot like a board. And the truth is very few funds really do that. Yeah. (laughs) And a lot of LPs like aren't expecting that. But we tend to interact with them more kind of one-on-one than in an LPAC group. We did have an LPAC meeting in October. For us, we've been building Renegade to be institutional from day one. And so to us, a big part of that was that infrastructure and reporting and back office. So we have an amazing CFO and, you know, really top tier fund administrator that we work with. And, you know, we really try to hit above our weight when it comes to to that kind of stuff. So like we do a quarterly reporting and give kind of overviews about our company. We really tried to keep that at a high quality bar from day one. Renata and I are really lucky in that we, you know, both grew up at, at great firms. She actually started her venture career at the Stanford Endowment, and then moved to Felicis and then Lux. And I was at Canaan Partners and then IVP. And all of those firms, I think, have great, you know, kind of great infrastructure and great reporting, but it's hard, right? Like it takes a lot of work up front. Especially as like an emerging manager too. You're like, all right, cool. I have, I'm building the firm, thinking strategically, building LP relationships, investing in companies, 
And then spending like half my day doing administrative things on the back office side. <laughs> I was joking with a friend I, that, that Josh and I started a fund because we wanted to do less paperwork than we were doing for the SPVs. But boy, was I wrong in that assumption. <laughs> I had to apostle my resume to send to Japan. I was like, perfect. I just certified I had a year and a half of work experience. But yeah, the the back office side of things is super, super important, especially as you're, as you're you know, building out a a firm of institutional grade. I think one thing I would love to touch on too is how do you navigate your co-founder relationship? I I think like a lot of business relationships start on the informal side, texting and calling, and and then it gets more formal as you build out an established firm. So I'm curious like how your relationship with Renata has shifted and how you built in frameworks as you become a more institutional firm. That co-founder relationship has been really important to us from the very beginning, especially Renata and I were at great firms. We had no reason to, to blow up our careers. And so we understood also from working with early stage companies that often in those early days, like founder risk is the biggest risk. And so we really wanted to like press on that before we got work married to make sure that we were actually like a like a good team and a good pair. And so we hired a coach. We uh, worked with Khalid Halim, who now has his own firm called Anthrolytics. And he was amazing. We did these operating manual where we like filled out what it's like to work with us and worked through them and, and worked actually a lot on our origin stories and where we're from. Your origin stories are how you grew up or how you learn to handle conflict is often how you handle conflict as an adult. And so we we did a lot of work before we quit our jobs on that. And actually we have our operating manuals like published somewhere. That early work really got us down to like A, understanding our working styles and B, understanding like our, our underlying values and our motivations. Our goal is that like, we build, Renegade is an incredible firm and it's the last place we work and that like it exists when we don't work here, right? And that like we walk away like someday and it's like even more successful without us, right? And, you know, I, I think it only, like I'm such a big, I'm such a big believer that like incentives drive behavior and like underlying values drive behavior. And so like if there's just a values mismatch, it's just not going to work. If you're really optimizing for different things, it's not going to work. If you operate differently and your working styles are different and you think about the world differently, that's amazing. But if the underlying values and the, and the underlying absolute goal is really divergent, it's that's really hard. And especially in this business, funds are 10, 12, 14 years long, right? And how do you make sure that you're a, a partnership that's going to last? Because like, you really only want to do this with somebody that you like really adore and are aligned with. And I feel so lucky. I mean, Renata is just like the best person ever, but... Also, like the fact we did all this work and, you know, the level of trust that we have, like when COVID happened, it. I would love to hear more on the tactical side. Do you both do one on ones where you're kind of evaluating your meta relationship, doing check ins on, on how that relationship has evolved and what are the structures? You're nodding your head, so uh, it sounds like a yes. The structure that I'm going to recommend is actually like unstructured time. You know, we talk a lot about like founder dates and that was actually from college just around like it's like a marriage, right? You know, everybody's so busy on the work and the kids that you stop investing in the relationship and then the marriage falls apart. You have to continue to invest in your co-founder relationship and, you know, respect and adore each other as people. Because when stuff gets hard, that's the foundation that you come back to. I wish we were frankly better at finding time to just hang out the two of us. But we like, we do go on these founder dates. We actually have done a couple weekends away, like just us, where we you know, have a lot of unstructured time. And like, some of that is just play. Like we went, we like went on a weekend, we played like Yahtzee a ton. 
I love Yahtzee. That's so funny. That's like super, super important to any relationship. Building on that framework of like what you and Renata have learned from coaching, do you share that with the founders that you work with? You're investing a bit later in the business. So I'm assuming that they're like a bit further into that relationship and have different like growing pains and challenges. But curious if you share that with the founders that you work with. Actually, one of my founding teams recently went on like, I they jokingly ended up calling it like a vision quest, but like they went away just the two of them to like <clears throat> get a chance to like step back and like think big about the business. But also like they were showing, they were showing me pictures from their trip. And, and also I think, you know, they had so much fun and they went somewhere where like one co-founder had grown up and is really special and shared it with, with her co-founder with the other. And, you know, I think, and that was what they were talking about. I worked with that they should go on like a founder date or a vision quest, but I've definitely pushed pushed money and I've also worked with solo founders and as a founder myself now like I can't imagine doing this alone having those tough conversations whether that's about compensation or responsibility having a great relationship underneath that makes those discussions a lot easier I would love to talk more about this one concept that I worked with my mentor Judy Estran on she's incredible she proposed this idea of greenhouse days I found I'm spending a lot of interrupt driven time and so I've been trying to block out days to just learn and observe and curate and continue to build that identity mosaic that's so crucial to building a narrative. So I'd love to hear more about like time that you might spend doing that and what you spend it on. Oh my gosh, that I love that. I'm, I feel like I'm like learning so much from you. I'm so enjoying myself as well. Oh my gosh, that idea of greenhouse days and giving yourself time and space. And I've been thinking about that a lot. Like you really hit the nail on the head earlier too when you mentioned like, you started fun to do less paperwork and you found out it was more paperwork. If you love investing, don't raise your own funds because you're spending a lot of time doing other stuff. People, if you want to be a firm manager, raise a venture fund. If you want to, if you love investing and you want to do that, like go and work at a firm because you'll spend a lot of time not investing if you run a firm. A hundred percent. And, you know, luckily I like the other stuff too. The startup aspect is so fun. I don't think I could like run a firm that it wasn't my own. But taking that time to think and read, I think is so important. Like actually, like last, like last week I got this like horrible cold. And this weekend I literally like just did nothing. I like laid on, like I laid on the couch like all day Saturday and like just slept. How do you actually like think and, and like process and get excited if you're like, you know, if you're always on and you're like never recharging. And so I'm really looking forward to this break of like reading a lot. And wait, I want to hear specifically about what some of the things I've been interested in. I just went to Art Basel, which was really cool. And I love Ikebana, which is a Japanese floral arranging style. It's like minimalist. It's really interesting in comparison to Western maximalist flower arranging so I've been nerding out on that and then the concept of curators the the concept I mentioned before is like the identity mosaic of like how you create and articulate so what will I not learn about you from like your LinkedIn or like your interviews I'm an enthusiastic surfer I'm a happy plant mom I love my family recently I've been really interested in like Mexican indigenous culture so I would love to hear more about what you're interested in reading about Gosh, I wish, like, I feel like you're so interesting. Um, I mean, I was like, I just like find weird, inter weird internet corners and nerd out on stuff. Also, I think that like my whole personality online is very centered around venture, but I also do a lot of other things that I'm interested in. Judy really encouraged me to spend more time doing that stuff because if you 
if you like dig into those, you'll find interesting parallels. That's such a great point. I don't invest in science companies, but I like use the way I think in science like all the time. My undergrad work was in kinetics. My my graduate work was in thermodynamics. The world is an energy landscape. Okay, dig more into that. I want to hear more about the energy landscape. I study enzymatic like chemical reactions as an undergrad and graduate school is protein folding. Anytime there's a change where you're going from one state to another state, there's an energy barrier between. And so you can think about here's your starting state at one energy level. Here's your product state, the outcome at a different energy level. It can be higher or lower than the starting level. And there's generally a barrier in between them. So how do you overcome that barrier? How enzymes do it is they actually lower that barrier, facilitate chemical reactions to make those happen faster. Mm -hmm. I think a lot about the world in those ways. Like what's the current barrier and how do you be an enzyme? The more successful state you want to be in is that lower energy state. So A, like how do you get there? That's the kinetics that's over the hump. And Mm -hmm. the thermodynamics is how different is that from where you are? And so much in startups is trying to get to this new state and you do things to figure out is that new state as good as I think it is. Is it lower energy than I think it is? You have to like do the tests and hire the people and figure it out. Yeah, Kat Cole came on and she has this phrase, is the juice worth the squeeze? I, I like the framework of evaluating things. Like you kind of start with some level of potential energy and then that translates to kinetic energy. I think this is especially relevant with founders building up that FOMO and then turning the lever and switching into kinetic energy is like much fast, like the, the ball rolls down the hill much faster. Totally. Right. And so how can you make that hill steeper so that the ball can go even faster? And another thing to think about when you're at one of those low energy states, is that a local maximum? That's also just such a good way to think about what you're doing. Like, am I here because it's comfortable? And am I here because this is like the greatest spot? Right. I try to apply that thinking a lot to, to startups and mm-hmm. companies. And like, how do your venture dollars go to the things that are going to like be the best enzymes, like lower the um, activation energy the most and get you to the lowest energy products that you can. I right? love that. And so, yeah, so that like last five minutes has really scratched into my head that hasn't been a while. I think it's been since like college when I took my last, my chemistry class freshman year. I didn't do that well in it, but I was excited about it. <laughs> Honestly, like I, I mean, I'm a huge dork, but like I kept, I have like my favorite I have my very favorite chemistry books. Like I kept my, my favorites and I have the, this one is like big red. It's called uh, physical chemistry and molecular approach. And Ooh. literally when I feel like my brain is rusty, I'll go in here and, and play with this in statistical mechanics. There's all these relationships where you're like, oh, the the time derivative of a volume is like equal to, you know, Boltzmann's constant times some other stuff. But like you like yeah. you do all these like part like all these like inversions and it's like to me it's like brain crack and like a way to kind of like get the juices rolling so if nice. I'm really feeling stuck. So. Yeah, I was doing, I was on vacation. I was like doing proofs on portfolio construction. So I love calc and do like the chemistry where you do all the conversions. I try to use that. Our first portfolio construction, like when we were, when we were like very first, like dreaming of Renegade, mm-hmm. we built these, like, I built like this really like janky, like Monte Carlo model where I use like a random number generator, like inside of Excel to mm-hmm. create like a, you know, a bunch of outcomes, but it's like, it's a really good gut check to think about like, okay, like, you know, what are the underlying probabilities? Like that have to exist in order for mm-hmm. me to get great returns. And then like, what are those like levers that shift? And how do you construct a portfolio model that's like relevant to the risk aversity that you have and stage awareness for when you're investing? Right. And what's the percentage of 50x outcomes that it takes to have a great fund? And like, mm-hmm. really being honest with yourself, are you really going to see 2% of your fund actually going to be, you know, 
these crazy outcomes? Like, and are you going to have enough in them? I love Monte Carlo modeling because what it's demonstrating to you is like, what are the outcomes based on your assumptions about an energy landscape, right? Mm -hmm. Is the world actually as good or better than the energy landscape that you're modeling? And if it's not, right, this is not going to work. And so I just think that's like such a, like, it's such a clean way to think about it. Yeah. Similar to how you like apply science, I apply engineering to investing. So I have like similar frameworks from like engineering that I I think about quite often. But with that, Roseanne, this was such an incredible conversation. I had so much fun jamming with you on your journey from scientist to entrepreneur to investor, all the way down the line from frameworks about being a board member to being a better co-founder. And then finally wrapping it up with jamming on some science. And I'm wishing you the best of luck. I'm super excited about what you're building at Run. And thanks so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. This was so much fun. Yay. I'm so glad. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in today to Seed to Harvest. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe wherever your favorite podcast listening platform is. I'll be releasing new episodes weekly. And if you have any questions or comments, feel free to let me know on Twitter. That's Paige Finn, Paige and then Finn with three N's. Thanks and see you again next week.